and we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which Jilly will read to us, 6, 7, 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, as for humans... God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Thank you, Jilly. Just going to set this recording as well. So, Nigel, you're going to have to behave yourself now on Zoom. Uh, good morning. Um, apologies for my my voice. Um, hopefully, it will hold out. We'll see how we get, how we get on. Um, I've got that sort of back to school cold that's been going round. 
swept through our house. Um, let's pray and let's ask for God's help. I, I met up with um, Don Ford in his care home at the end of last week, and uh, the first verses that he turned to in, in uh, Psalm 91 were this as we met together. I'm going to read those for us now. Whoever dwells in the, sh- the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we pray that you would help us to echo those words from the beginning of that psalm. Help us this morning to see how great you are. Help us this morning to see how good you are. Help us this morning to put our trust in you, no matter what goes on in the seasons of life that are around us. So, Father, as we come to your word, we need your help. And we ask that you would help us to to see you from your word. Thank you that you're the God who speaks. Thank you you've given us your word, you've given us your spirit, and, and we pray you would speak to us this morning. Uh, in Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Great, so here we are, Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And I want to start off talking a bit about Lego. Um, I don't know if there's um, lots of Lego fans around here. I don't know if um, perhaps when your kids have gone to sleep, you're, you're, you're still secretly glad that they've gone to sleep, so now you can play with the Lego. I don't know if that fits you as well. But I want you to picture a Lego set. Um, or maybe if you're not into Lego, think like Ikea furniture, something like that. Um, it's Barney's birthday tomorrow, and uh, he got an amazing Lego set from his, his um, school friends, club together to get him this amazing set. So he was busy at work on that yesterday. It's brilliant, isn't it? All the pieces in their place, a place for all the pieces. You've got the step-by-step instructions, and, and it's, it's, there's nothing quite like it, isn't it? Get the satisfaction of getting it all together and, and that kind of thing. I think as, as human beings, we can fall into, trap, into the trap of thinking that, w- that we're a bit like the master builder of, of our wonderful, rich, complex life. We've got all the pieces and we've got the instructions and it's down to us to, to put it all together, to make the masterpiece and, and enjoy the wonder of our creation. Well, the reality is, what Ecclesiastes has been showing us week by week as we've gone through is that we don't have all the pieces. Some are missing, some are broken, and we don't have the the full instructions either. Actually, in some cases, we don't have any instructions, and, and we're just lost, perplexed, wondering what on earth is going on with our lives. And actually, whilst we are responsible for, for some of the building in our lives, we're not the master builder in control. That's what Ecclesiastes has been showing to us. But actually, that is amazingly good news. Um, The difficult and wonderful truth for us this morning is that God is the one who is the master builder, not us. He's the one who's, who's in control of the seasons of our lives, not us. And that is 
tough for us to accept. It, it takes humility. It's a big step for us as human beings to, to admit our weakness and our fragility. We may not like that truth, but that doesn't change the fact that it, that it is the truth. So it's a difficult truth, but, but it's a wonderful truth too. And my hope this morning is that as we go through this chapter, we'll see that there is something liberating and life-changing about the reality that we're not in control of our lives and times here and now. Ultimate reality is, is what Ecclesiastes is, is all about. The preacher has been showing us in these first couple of chapters how the ultimate reality of death shakes us out of our kind of let's pretend fantasies and points us to the truth of who God is, the truth of, of who we really are and how we need to reorientate our lives around the end. In chapter one, we saw how death puts an end to our quest for greatness and gain. Teacher shows us how, how we come and we go and we're forgotten and everything is meaningless. Or everything is just a breath, that, a, a vapour that disappears. In chapter 2, we saw the things that we invest our time and our energy, the things that we give ourselves to. Actually, when it comes to it, they too are meaningless. A vapour that disappears without giving the, the lasting satisfaction that, that we long for. And so here in chapter 3 this morning, this is perhaps one of the most famous passages from, from this book, often read at funerals, even humanist funerals, strangely. Um, Nicola Sturgeon used these words as she was conveying Scotland's condolences to the, to the king recently as well. There's a real um, beauty and, and poetry to verses uh, 1 to 8. But that's only half the story. If we want to find the deeper joy and hope, well, we need to see this poem in the context of the rest of the chapter as a whole. Um, so let's start off looking at these first eight verses. A time for everything. See how he begins in verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And what we see uh, after that start in verses 2 to 8 fleshed out is a series of, of polar opposites or extreme positions, if you like, um, put side by side. Uh, one commentator draws out that this is a, a literary technique that puts these opposites um, side by side to show that they're embracing everything in between as well. So by putting birth and death, um, he, he's encompassing everything in between birth and death, um, weeping and laughing. So in these, in these uh, eight verses, um, 28 items, 14 pairs, multiples of, of seven, and uh, uh, the number seven is, is a symbolic number often in, in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, symbolizing perfection and completeness. So I think we get the sense that what's in view in these first eight verses is all of life. It's completeness. In, in, in all its completeness. This, this is all of life. This is what's in, in view here. 
And I want us to note how the, the preacher writing this poem wants to show the, the rich complexity of life here and now. Sure, as you look down this list, um, some of the opposites could fit into pretty basic categories. Bad times, good times. A time for killing, that's pretty bad. Time for healing, that's pretty good. Love, hate, yeah, okay, we can see how those fit into simple categories. But not everything in this list fits so neatly into categories like that. Have a look at verse 5. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Which, which category do we put that in? Which are, or, or verse 7, a time to be silent and a time to speak. Which of those is the good thing? Which of those is the bad thing? It's, it's not so clear, is it? Or verse 6, a time to search and a time to give up. It's ambiguous, isn't it? And I think the point is that life is complex. Life is complicated. Our lives are filled with all kinds of seasons and experiences. And sometimes, perhaps even most of the times, we need real wisdom. A wisdom that all too often escapes us to work out how we should be responding in any given situation. So notice the complexity of life that's fleshed out in this poem here. And notice too how, how central relationships are in the various seasons and experiences of life. There's outside stuff that impacts us here. War, peace. But nearly all the others in the list it, it involve us interacting with other people around us. We are relational people. We are made in the image of a relational God. And we navigate the various complex seasons of life in the context of relationships with others. And there's a book called um, Recovering Eden by an American pastor, Zach Eswine, um, written on, on this book of uh, Ecclesiastes, and he teases out uh, really helpfully some of the relational dynamics um, of life from this chapter really helpfully. And a key thing he wants us to, to think about is, do we recognise what season we're in when we're in it? If we're dressed for summer in the middle of winter, we're going to have problems. Do we recognise the, the seasons those around us are in? How does that um, need to impact on the way that we relate to them as well? It's, it's complex. It needs wisdom. It needs one another, helping one another. But what are we to make of all this so far? Verses 1 to 8 could be quite easily read at, at a human, humanist funeral with, with no mention of God. But then verse 9 comes as a bit of a shock as the preacher returns to his familiar conclusion that, that he's been coming back to again and again in Ecclesiastes so far. Verse 9, what, does the, what do workers gain from their toil? he asks. So the wonderful ebb and flow of the richness and complexities of life's different seasons 
And what do we have to show for it at the end? Well, nothing. A lifetime of striving and just getting and, and working hard and seeking to gain and grasp hold of everything. And after a lifetime of that, what, what do we gain? Well, we're, we're just lowered in our wooden box into a cold, hard ground at the end. What have we gained? Even if we lead a rich, varied, wonderful life? Not much. How are we to make sense of it all? Well, the second half of this chapter uh, helps us, where he shows us, I'm going to pick out two profound truths that um, the preacher lays out for us in the second half of this chapter. And uh, uh, the first is this, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Have a look at verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I think the big thing he wants us to see is that God is not like us. Sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking God's maybe he's just a, a bigger and better version of us. Well, that's, that's not what's in view here at all. God is not like us. He sees the bigger picture that we do not. Actually, he sees the bigger picture that we cannot. Did you see that in, in verse 11? Now think back to your childhood. Um, for some of us, that might be longer you might care to, to remember, but think back to your childhood and think back particularly to times when you were frustrated with your parents. I'm sure they were hardly any of those times, but, but humour me for a minute. Think back to times when you were frustrated with your parents. How many of those times that you were frustrated with your parents were because you couldn't see the bigger picture that your parents could see? Our, our parents are a wonderful gift from God to provide rhythms for us as we're growing up. What to eat? Where is a good place for us to go or not go? When to go to bed? Um, these rhythms that are put in place for us are to provide security and freedom and to, and to keep us safe and healthy. But so often, with a, when we're young, with our tiny minds... We just can't see the bigger goals that they're working towards. And it just seems so unbelievably unfair that we can't stay up till midnight night stuffing our face with as much chocolate as we want to eat. We just, the injustice of it is. <laughs> the preacher here wants us to see that so often that's exactly how we are with our Father in heaven. I wonder how many of, of our frustrations come because... We cannot see the bigger picture that our Father in heaven sees. Verse 11, he set eternity on our hearts. It's not um, eternity as in the, the word used for eternity there. It's not um, heaven and the kind of wonders and glory of heaven. What's in view here is eternity as in the time frame of eternity. The kind of awesome bigness of it. God has, has set that sense that life is huge, 
It's, it, and it's, it's amazing. And, and we just can't get our feeble human brains around that. We're just not built to do that. We, we are, we're aware that there is a bigger picture. We want to be able to see it sometimes, probably most of the times. But all too often, we can't because we're not built to do that. God is not like us. We are not like him in that way. We live in time. We are finite human beings. God is outside time. And so, verse 11, we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So what does that mean? Why is that good news for us? Well, it means that as we face the different seasons of life, and especially when we go through the seasons of life that are, that are painful and tough, we can know that they are part of a bigger picture that we cannot see yet. If there was no one or nothing that was in control of what's going on in life and the universe, if it was just chaos and random choice, that's pretty bleak, isn't it? But our Father God, who does see, who does know, who is in control, he sees the whole big picture because it's his story. It's, it's his picture. And he sees, when he sees that bigger story, he sees that it is beautiful. Not just, all right, yeah, that'll do, I suppose. It is beautiful. Not meaningless, not out of control, not unspeakably horrific. Part of a bigger story that is beautiful in God's eyes now. So there's, there's nothing random about our struggles. God's not singled you out as deserving of extra suffering. There are times and seasons for all of us. And our gracious God is in control. He knows the bigger picture and it is beautiful. Maybe we want, we want all the answers in every season we're in. Maybe some seasons will bring no answers and only questions. Maybe that's the season you're in right now, sat here this morning. Well, we, we can't see the bigger picture, but we know the one who does. We know the one who, who holds that bigger picture in his hands. It's, it's his story. And as he looks at that bigger picture, it is beautiful. Now, here and now, our, our stories might be full of broken characters and unexpected difficulties. We may not even find resolution that we long for before we die here and now. But the second profound truth to move on to that's held out for us here by the preacher alongside God's sovereignty is that there will be a time for judgment. There will be a time for judgment. Have a look at verse 17. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. So there's a time to live and a time to die and a time for judgment. And justice is something that is deeply hardwired into us as humans. When we can't get it, 
There are no words for the fury that can overwhelm us when we've been wronged. When we've been trampled or demeaned and the perpetrator gets off scot-free, something within us longs for justice to be done. Will we get it? Is the question we ask ourselves. And the teacher in these verses looks for it and, and can't find it under the sun. Just sees wickedness. But then in verse 17... Above the sun, if you like. There will be judgment. It is coming. And there's real comfort and challenge to us at the same time in this thought of final judgment. There will be a day of judgment for every single deed that has brought harm to God's world and his creatures. Every, every single thing will be, and human, will be answerable before almighty God. And there's something liberating about that truth. If we don't get our day in court here and now, this life, there will be a day when justice will be done. Judgment will come. And the thought that actually every, every single thing that we do here and now is, is seen and, and judged brings... Well, depth of, of, of meaning to all the little things that we do here and now as well, doesn't it? God sees it all. Nothing goes unnoticed. And he will judge. So that's the, the comfort. But the warning is this. We're, we will come before the judgment seat of Almighty God to give an account for everything. Imagine that. I don't know if you... Ever find yourself doing that, imagining what that day might be like? Imagine I had a hard drive, computer hard drive, with um, everything that you'd done and thought and said, everything, all the stuff you're proud of, all, the, all of it was there. Um, how would you feel if we just sort of turned the lights off, sat back and watched it through on, on the screen here? Your life, all the secret things that nobody else knows about. How would you feel all of that being shown to a room of people? It'd be unbearable, wouldn't it? How long before we just bolted out the door and never came back? Which of us can stand before a holy God? But well, whenever you go through the story of the Bible, whenever you find someone in the Bible who comes before the presence of Almighty God, what happens? They fall on their faces before him as though dead. They are blown away by the sheer majesty and beauty of, of his utter perfection. And they're overwhelmed by the, a sense of their complete unworthiness and sin. Who can stand? no one so what, what comfort actually is that thinking about judgment really well, what hope do we have well we have a huge advantage over the preacher in Ecclesiastes living this side of the cross of Christ our hope is in the Lord Jesus our, our Lord Jesus who, who entered into time and space who was born, who experienced all the seasons of life that we do, 
He wept, he laughed, he mourned, he danced. He knows what it's like. He's lived it. And so the writer of the Hebrews tells us that, that he's able to sympathise with us in our weakness. Because he's lived it. But he, he lived and he died. Let me read some uh, verses from Isaiah 53. They're up on the screen there as well. This is what the Lord Jesus uh, did for us. I used to go to a church where we had a, a communion service um, uh, every Sunday. And um, more often than not, we would read out these verses from Isaiah 53. Just listen to, these, to this incredible pr- uh, prophecy describing the Lord Jesus. He was despised and rejected by all mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was born. He died for you and for me. The gravest and most serious injustice of of, of all history. The son of God is, is killed in our place facing the judgment and and wrath of God that that we deserved for our sin. And he did all that so we could have peace, so we could be forgiven, so that we can be confident on that day of judgment there will be no condemnation for us on that day who are trusting in him. So when our video is shown in heaven, Our sins have been wiped off that hard drive. And Jesus' perfect obedience is is there in its place instead. Isn't that awesome? That's the the hope that we have as, as believers. On that final day of judgment, there's no condemnation for us trusting in Jesus. Well, back to Ecclesiastes 3, and we see towards the end of the chapter, the teacher, verse 21, getting drawn into speculation about the things that he didn't really know about. Perhaps it can be tempting for us to go down that route too. But instead, let's fix our eyes on what we do know for sure. Let's fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus who died and rose again, defeating sin and death once and for all. And the preacher's conclusion, after thinking through the Lord's sovereign control over the times and seasons of our lives and over our our inability to control them or even see the bigger picture, and his conclusion after thinking about the judgment that will one day come, it's there in verse 22, 
And it's there in verse 12 and verse 13. So I saw there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. There's a quiet contentment here of just getting on with what's in front. How much more reason do we have than that preacher writing at that time, living this side of the cross for a joyful, humble trust in our Lord God? Well, let's pray to him. Heavenly Father, thank you that both of those things in that, just in the Heavenly Father are are true. You are the, our Father who is in heaven, the creator and sustainer of this entire universe. You are supreme, you are sovereign, you are running everything. And yet you are our Father who takes a personal interest and love and careful concern for us. Cosmically, we are so insignificant, yet in your love, in your mercy, um, you love us, and we just need to look to the cross to see the full extent of your love for us, sending your own son to deal with our sin, to deal with our rebellion and rejection against you, to, to deal with our hubris and pride and wanting to to live as if you don't exist your own son took all that sin on himself so that on that final day we can be confident of of no condemnation and we can be confident of eternal life with you where there is no more weeping or tears or pain but just joy So, Father, we pray that you would help us to number our days. Help us to to be humbly confident in your grace, in your mercy, in your love and your control uh, over us. Please help us by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.